Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm not sure the Rays could have a much worse week than they have had in their franchise history. We'd have to look back and see. But Well, hold on. I mean, yet. we know July was the second worst month in this franchise's history. This may be the yeah. worst. <laughs> this so far, it's, August hasn't really turned out much better. Um, maybe maybe record wise, but not not from a franchise standpoint. So you have the Wander Franco thing, which we'll get into in just a second or update you on that. But but the really sad news is that, and, and it seemed like it was headed this way. Shane McClanahan is going to have uh, Tommy John surgery. This is this is his second one. Uh, he had one in college at USF. So. Um, Keep that in mind, but you know, here's the thing, man. Not only is he lost for this year, which seemed inevitable, he's he's lost for probably all of 2025. And I mean, you know, for for what was at the time he became injured, um, the best left-hander in baseball, a guy that started the All-Star game, could have started two had he not been sat down for a little bit. Now he, you know, he's after that tremendous start that he had, he certainly struggled. And now we know why uh, he wasn't himself. I think he was one in six with about a six ERA or something like that uh, after that great start. But um, it, I mean, you just don't rise to this level in Major League Baseball. Like it's so hard to get there. Um, you know, here's a guy that played locally, and and you love his attitude. You watched him grow up and command uh, the mound and and his emotions, and he, he's so competitive. And not for nothing, he's throwing a hundred miles an hour. You know, and not many, not many left-handers in baseball can do that, or humans in general, and that might be part of the problem, right? That 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 the elbow uh, twice now has has uh, has not held up. But to see a guy have to go through this again, and and what it means to the Rays to lose what was not even arguably, but definitely their ace of the staff, it's just tough, man. It, it's just. You know, and we've talked about the pitchers and the injuries, and, 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 you know, Shane is one of those guys that they, you know, when you draft them, you take a chance on a guy that's already had Tommy John, and it seems like it's hard, harder and harder to find pitchers that haven't by the time they get to pro baseball. But nonetheless, you feel for the kid because he's not going to be on that mound in a very long time. And mentally, that, that can take down a lot of people. And I, I think he's been through it. He'll get through it again. Um you know, you don't know what his effectiveness will be or his velocity and all those things when he comes back. That remains that all remains to be seen. But you do know that he'll work his butt off to get back and do everything he can do. But it's just it's too much of a common refrain with the Rays, man. They they find these pitchers that are exceptional, um, and some they develop, but we've talked about how they have to take chances, whether it's in the draft or free agency on some guys that might be a little hurt or might, you know, might have been overlooked. And, and it's just, I don't know. This one, even though it seemed inevitable when it was finally announced, this one kind of was a gut punch, I think, Steve. Well, you look at, you know, first of all, what, was he 11-2 and two this year with a ERA of like yeah. 3 two, nine. 
Yeah. And, and actually it was a lot better than that till, you know, since the all-star break kind of, um, right. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's the season they're having and you know, the potential and the shot they have to win it all this year, but he's not going to be there for next year either. When you think they're still going to be, have a shot to win it next year. I know, you know, as you know, next year, you know, you're not quite sure what the rotation would look like, but you know, you still have glass on their contract. You got Eflin, at some point, you think Springs would come back next year, and Rasmussen and Taj Bradley is getting better, and you know you start and, and Zach Littell they found, and you know you start going, all right, they got their pitching staff next year, and then you, you know you thought McClanahan was going to be part of that. Well, now he's not, and you know it, it's it's like you said, it's not just this year, but it's next year too, and it's it's you know it goes back to we just can't have nice things. <laughs> not since Tom Brady left. No. <laughs> I mean, is there any doubt that Tom Brady was, you know, sort of the cause? I mean, yeah, it, you know, some things had happened before he got here. I understand that, and raising the World Series, and you know, the Lightning were on their way, and and so on and so forth. But no, we can't have nice things. Um, and unfortunately, Shane McClanahan won't be having very nice things for for a little while. And and you know, I'm sure he went to all the doctors, and you know, got all his you know, possibilities. I don't know if he was dealing with stem cells in Antigua, um, like Ryan Jensen, but you know, uh, but in fact, he is going to have to have surgery. It's just, it's just a, a blow on top of the Wander Franco situation, not exactly clearing up or getting better necessarily. Um, there, you know, the, the attorney general's office in the Dominican Republic, um, of course confirmed that their investigations underway to the associated press. There's a newspaper down there. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it, uh, but it has reported that prosecutors believe there are more minors involved. A 17-year-old girl, according to the newspaper, came forward initially but is no longer cooperating. It just doesn't feel like it's going the right direction. Again, presumption of innocence. I know that Wander has made a a very strong statement um, that uh, people don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, and it's just a bunch of gossip and, you know, and he also made kind of a curious statement about how people are always looking to get money as if this is maybe a shakedown. And you know what? May well be. We don't know. Uh, but baseball is, is at least, um, going to take a, uh, a look into it, which means that they, they probably feel there's enough evidence or evidence is the right word, but suspicion that, uh, this is something that, it would be in his interest, it would be in baseball's interest to take him off the field until or unless they can clear some of this stuff up. Um, but these things, you know, there's not much precedent. I mean, there's been players getting in trouble before uh, that have missed a lot of time. Um, I had forgotten about Felipe Vasquez with the Pirates. He was, he was actually found guilty of assaulting a 13-year-old. Uh, along with some other charges, and he was sentenced to two to four years in prison. Mm-hmm. He was 26 at the time. He said he didn't know the girl was a minor, lost his appeal. Um, and, of course, we all remember, um, was it Trevor Bauer, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of an, an ugly situation with him um, regarding, I think it was uh, was domestic abuse or something. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, I believe it was a lot of roughness, and I don't yeah. remember all the specific details, but it was ugly. Right, but it was yucky, and and he he went away for a while, and um, it turned out that you know he was getting paid for for some of that, but he you know eventually 
the Dodgers and others just said, yeah, we don't want you in baseball anymore. Um, and so there's just – there's so much – bad vibe going right now around the Rays, and yet they're out there. You know, they had a, a big night against the Giants the first game of the series. They had 18 hits. I think it was a season high or something like that. So, you know, Mark Topkin wrote a story from San Francisco about how Kevin Cash, others believe that this will not slow those guys that are on that team down. Now, what might slow them down is they lost Manuel Margot, who's going to have some surgery and some loose particles removed yeah. from his throwing arm. And he could miss maybe a month or so. I mean, the Rays treat their pitchers so poorly and have so many injuries that their outfielders are now getting pitching injuries. That's right. It's it's <laughs> contagious, man. It's it's you know I don't know they uh, playing long toss with those guys in rehab probably too much maybe I don't know what's the, what the hell's going on. Um, but yeah, you, you don't need that from your outfielders for sure. And uh, Manny hadn't had a great year, but again, you know it, it, it's it's really. It's more than this, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, it seems like every day you're like, okay, where's where's the good news? <laughs> you know, like other than hey, they're still viable in the American League East. They're only three games back, as we talk. You know, um, there's still six and a half weeks to play. Like, there's time for them to still win the best division in baseball, and that's not an easy accomplishment. They could they could win ninety some ninety plus games. Um, all those things are there. And so you give the guys who are remaining a hell of a lot of credit um, because it's, you know, look, I, I appreciate what Cash is saying that, like, these guys are, you know, have a nice mix of, of veterans and they're going to go out there and they're going to compete their ass off and they're going to play hard for themselves because, you know, one thing you got to remember, even though baseball is a team sport, um, you're evaluated on your own performance. It's it's really it's really an individual game uh, in a in a team setting because when you're up there at the plate, it's you against the pitcher. There's nobody in that dugout that's going to help you. Okay. Um, unless you're in Houston and they're giving you garbage can signs. Um, but, but in general, like it's you against him and the same, the same is true on defense. Um, you know, you've got to make plays that are, that are come to you and, and hopefully some that don't. And so there's a lot of, you know, my career is based on production period, right? Like you have to learn to take care of your business or you're not going to be on that team. And then, then the clubhouse of course takes over. And then there is a sort of a spree decor and all that stuff that, that, uh, makes you, um, a hard team to, to beat. But I, I do like the fact that, that, that cash, um, is in charge of this group. Um, he will keep them focused. It's no different from a schematic standpoint than if Wander was hurt and players get hurt all the time. And God knows they've had enough pitchers hurt. They got Shane McClanahan hurt. But I think, you know, it's probably taken a couple of weeks for, for his teammates to digest that this was inevitable. And now, now in fact, it's, it's been, it is so. Um, but they didn't, they didn't stop playing. Um, and they won't. But, you know, there does come a point where you just go, you know, what looked to be an historic year, what looked to be something that was going to be special from, from start to finish doesn't feel like it's going to have enough left, enough pieces for it to get that fantastic finish, if that makes sense. It just, what, but maybe this will be their finest hour. Like maybe they'll overcome even more, you know, you just don't know. So 
but the challenge is there and it's just another another piece of bad news that again seemed inevitable but when you hear it it's it's just just another gut punch all right we're going to talk a little college football or a lot of college football actually coming up in just a second the polls are out not just the ap top 25 but matt baker's top 25 which you want to stay tuned for here in just a second but first i want to tell you guys you already know it's hurricane season there's no secret there in florida but the good news is you can keep the power on without breaking the bank and that's with solar battery backup power there is no fuel cost to run it no loud generator noise no annual maintenance cost and may electric solar there they are again they offer a 15-year warranty with their solar battery backup plus solar battery backup saves you hundreds of dollars each month if you lose power a generator can cost over $2,000 a week to run. Solar battery systems qualify for a 30% tax credit for new systems or for adding a battery to your existing in-phase solar system. Trust the pros in solar. To learn more about May Electric Solar Battery Backup or to get started, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, best time of the week. We get to talk college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. Matt, I'm always interested to see where the AP Top 25 poll falls in conjunction with yours. Because yours is the most important one, let's be honest here. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we don't care about the AP. But uh, we knew Florida State was well-regarded, and rightfully so. Uh, They've got a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. Um you know, the Seminoles have, have steadily risen um, under Mike Norvell the last couple of years. So the AP voters have them at number eight. But Matt Baker thinks even more of the Seminoles. Explain. Yeah, I've got them at fourth. To me, there's a pretty clear top three of Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State in some order. Right. Um, I, I've got Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. And I actually think Ohio State's going to win the national title, even though I don't have them at one. And we can talk about my weird semantics if we want in a second. Um, But then there's that kind of next tier of four through 11-ish, where there's not a lot of separation in my eyes. So why did I pick Florida State at the top of the tier? Well, we've talked about Jordan Travis and just how, how strong he was last year. And I think he's going to take the next step this year to go from being a very good quarterback to better than that. And more consistent, you know, not just making the sensational plays like he made against Florida with his legs. I'm talking just more consistent passing. I think he's got better weapons around him. When you look at, like, Keon Coleman, the uh, receiver from Michigan State, uh, all that type of stuff, I think Jordan's going to have a better year. I think the defense can take a step forward as well. And you kind of add that all up and and look at the other teams in that mix. I, I just have more faith in Florida State than I do LSU. You look at Alabama, who I have at six, which I understand is insanely low for Bama, but new quarterback that I don't, you know, I don't love the options they had, which is why they went out and got Buckner from Notre Dame. I've got questions about Reese, the new offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I've got USC at seven. I don't know about their defense. I've got Texas at eight. Texas is going to have to prove something to me before I can put them much higher than that. And then, you know, Washington, I really like Michael Penix. Um, they've got, I've got them at nine, but I just don't know that they have the depth and the talent of Florida State. And then 10 is Clemson, where, you know, I, I think Klubnik's a very talented quarterback, but the Tigers have just looked a little... They're not in that 2016 to 2018, 2019 range, so they've kind of dipped off a little bit. So kind of that's a long way of saying you put everything up. I don't feel super strongly about it, but... 
of the teams in that 4 to 10, 4 to 11 range, I've got the fewest questions about Florida State, so that's why I put them fourth. Wow. Well, I mean, that's uh, certainly a, a high ranking for them in, in any case, whether they're eighth or or fourth, as you have them in your poll. Interestingly, um, just going back a little bit, I mean, listen, it's hard to repeat as national championships, uh, you know, teams like Georgia. You really don't buy into them having a chance to do it three times, right? Well, they have a chance. I mean, I, I've got them number one on my ballot, and I think 60 of the 63 voters or something like that also had the, the Bulldogs number one. If I'm just looking at talent, there is not a reason not to put Georgia number one. There's just not. I mean, you can look at, like, you know, obviously they they lost a ton of guys, but they bring in a ton of guys, um, right. uh, just the, the dudes. And, yeah, um, losing Todd Monk in a OC hurts, but I don't think it's going to hurt that much. So if I'm so I do not have a reason not to put Georgia number one. Sorry for the double negatives. But as I'm actually thinking, like, how do I think this year is going to play out? If you give me Georgia or the field, I think I'm taking the field because it is so hard to win one. It is even harder to win two. And three, I don't think three in a row has happened since like 1934 to 36 <laughs> right. Minnesota or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's a, there's a reason for it, right? So I, I would yeah. think there's going to be something weird that happens this year. Maybe an unfortunate injury. Obviously, I don't wish that on anybody, but it, it's part of the game. A weird, you know, bounce for, for something. I mean, think about how the, the Ohio State uh, semifinal went last year where there's a you know a long field goal with a chance to, to change history yeah. there. So mm-hmm. I, I just think at some point something weird is going to happen or something different where the breaks that have gone Georgia's way the last couple of years go differently. And, and obviously I'm not saying that Georgia won back-to-back titles because of luck, but their luck is a part of the game. And I just think Georgia's due for a regression there to the mean and, you know, if I had to pick one, I think I'd pick Ohio State. I just because you know, honestly, it's the same thought I had about Georgia a couple of years ago, where they've recruited at a high enough level. Ohio State's receivers are just awesome. Um, I like the running backs too. I think they've recruited at a high enough level where eventually the stars are going to align and they're going to screw around and win a title. So why not this year? Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, I got to imagine you got him as a Heisman candidate, right? Oh, no question. I mean, I don't, off the top of my head, if he's not the best player in the country, he's up there. I think I would put Brock Bowers from the Georgia tight end as one. And, Very and good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Harrison is probably two. Um, this is where we, we feel old. I, I was, you know, we, we just recently moved, and I was looking through some of my old stuff in the closet as we're moving boxes. I'm pretty sure I found a Marvin Harrison Colts jersey from my <laughs> my, my days growing up in Indiana. Um, so mm-hmm. to think that we're, you know Marvin Harrison Jr. might be on my Heisman ballot makes me feel very old. But yeah, he's on. He's certainly on the short list of best players in the country, no question. Uh, it looks like Jim Harbaugh is going to get out of his four-game suspension. Is that a one-game season in the Big Ten between Ohio State and Michigan for a chance to go to the playoffs, do you think? Penn State's going to have their say in there, too. Um, a new quarterback with Aller, who who I just kind of want to see something from. Um, I like Singleton, uh, Singleton, the running back, a, a good amount, and obviously I think they're going to be good on the Lions. I, I'm just not sold on James Franklin. Um, he's been able to – he's kind of been in that Mario Cristobal um, mold from down in Miami and, and when Cristobal yeah. was at Oregon, too, where they recruit very well, but it, it, it doesn't – click on game days they're not playing up to their potential and so i want to see a little bit more from him which is why i'm lower on penn state than a lot of my voting colleagues but 
I would not be shocked at all if Penn State is certainly a factor in the Big East or big, the Big Ten East, excuse me, um, and wouldn't be shocked at all if they won. But I, I don't think they will. Uh, I still think it's Ohio State, Michigan, but Penn State's going to be a factor. I was interesting. Some of your other thoughts that uh, Utah, of course, Gators opened up with them a year ago, um, coming in at number twelve. That's quite an opener uh, for Florida this year. Yeah, no question. I mean, the 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 issue with with Utah is Cam Rising his health. You know, he he hurt his knee. I think it was a torn ACL in the Rose Bowl, and you know, it, it's enough time potentially where he could come back. And and you know, Utah's not saying much as you would expect. I, so I, I put them at 12th, assuming that he is going to be back and healthy. If not, then they're going to be a, a good amount lower. But, you know, as we talk of, about, you know, we've talked about uh, realignment, obviously, here the last couple months or, or years, I suppose, and the yeah. Pac-12 getting left in the dark. But looking at my ballot here, USC is 7, Washington is 9, Utah is 12, Oregon is 14, Oregon State is 17. That's that's your conference that's left for dead. Where I've got what yeah. five teams in the top seventeen. You know, mm. Caleb Williams is on that short list of best players in the country. Michael Penix, the Tampa Bay Tech kid, he's on that list. If Cam Rising is healthier, that you know, the great tight end, the Keithy guy they've got at Utah, those are some of the best players in the country when healthy. You know, Bo Nix, for for all we know, could screw around and win the Heisman too at Oregon. Like they've got a bunch of really good players in a league that's dying. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There is uh, one very happy Wisconsin Badger that likes where you have uh, Luke Fickle's team. You're you're a Luke Fickle guy, right? How could you not be? I mean, you you look at what he did at Cincinnati, where he was the one that broke that group of five glass ceiling and finally got a, a, a right. G five team into the playoff when he was at Cincinnati, and absolutely deserved it. By the way, that was not a mm-hmm. fluky thing. That was a really good team that he assembled, and you know, just looking at the talent there. Wisconsin hasn't played up to their potential the last couple of years, but I think him and that kind of change of scenery and his system coming in, I, I think they've got a potential to be a, a pretty solid team. You've got none of the non-Power 5 teams in your top 25. Um, is, is that starting to show the separation between the haves and have-nots? I think a little bit. I mean, go go back to this past NFL draft. Uh, uh, Cody Mock, was, was he 47? Sounds about right. Yeah, I, I can't remember off the second top rounder, of my head. Second rounder, yeah. Yes, mid mid second round. And he was the first non power five guy drafted out of North Good Dakota point. State. Yep. So there's been that separation in general. And certainly when you look at just kind of the way talent is um coalescing at certain schools, um where, where you know your top group of five players have the chance to kind of level up and transfer to Ole Miss or Oklahoma or whatever the case may be. Not all of them did, but but a lot do. And I know the the portal works both ways. As, as Jeff Scott said last year, the portal giveth and the, the portal taketh away. <laughs> but I certainly think it 
can help more on the high end. Um, and so I think there's a couple of factors in there as to why I didn't have a mid-major group of five team in there. Um, the main thing to me is just there wasn't one that fit. You know, I, I look at the AAC, which is the top, you know, mid-major out there right now. And a lot of people pick Tulane, but, I, you know, they lose Tajay Spears, who's a fantastic All-America caliber running back um, that made five yards and turned it into 50. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that this year. So I'm not sold on them. And I also think they kind of regressed to their historical mean a little bit. Um, UTSA, I just don't know about the depth as they moved up uh, to the uh, American. And then also SMU. They were okay last year, but not quite enough. So SMU has been my pick to win the league. But I, I, I just don't see them as a top 25 team yet. But, I mean, the good thing about this is, after week one, I will rip it up and start over. And I, <laughs> That's right. I, I feel pretty confident somebody, some group of five team or a couple are going to be in there in October, November, and December. I, I just couldn't tell you who right now. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. You, you mentioned Alabama, and then we're still waiting to see, you know, how Nick Saban navigates the quarterback situation as he, as he usually does. Um, a team you have ranked ahead of him and then one behind, a couple behind him I want to talk about. LSU is interesting. You have them at number five. And number eight, Texas. is. I mean, we talk about Texas all the time, Steve Sarkeesian and the talent that they've assembled down there. Of course, they got some young players like Arch Manning coming along and all of that. Um, could one of – I mean, it just feels like, like – we say this about Texas all the time, right? But, like, it just feels like one day uh, either another team from, from the SEC, like an LSU or Texas. I mean, I think both those teams are very viable, and, and having them now competing against each other is, is going to be interesting. Yeah, eventually Texas is going to figure it out. They just have to. I mean, they have – more money than anybody, right? Them and them yeah. and A M. They are in. You know, they are the premier program and one of the four best recruiting states in the country. There's zero reason why they should be mediocre the way they have been. And I think Sark's a really good coach. I mean, just what he did when he was at Alabama as the OC there. I mean, that 2020 team. That offense was as good as any I've seen. I mean, you put that up there against 2019 LSU and some of the others. Would, right. I mean, and obviously there were really good players, Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and, and those guys. But he was really he schemed them up very, very well to where it worked. And, and I think he's getting enough players and enough dudes where he can do that at Texas. I, I just need to see that play out on the field. And then LSU is an interesting one too, where they could absolutely make the playoff. Um, I don't know if they have national championship feeling, but I, I guess I wouldn't be totally shocked. Um, you look at a guy like Harold Perkins, somebody that Florida was in on at the very end of his recruitment, and he had flashes of being an awesome player last year, um, particularly in, in uh, rushing the passer. But if he can kind of take that next step as his, in his second year, he's going to be one of the very, very best players in the country. And looking back at that Florida State opener and how close and how you know what a crazy game that was right. it's it's going to be interesting this time around just because that was Brian that, openers are weird they just are mm-hmm. and that was Brian Kelly's debut there and Florida State it was their second game because they played in week 0 so right. it, i i'm i'm very curious to see how that plays out because on paper LSU may be a little bit more talented but Mike Norvell and his program might be a tiny bit further along, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. Brian Kelly is a darn good coach. We saw that at Notre Dame where he, I don't want to say he punched above his weight, 
Um, but I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. I did not know if Notre Dame could be a playoff caliber team in this era just because of the academic restrictions there yeah. and everything else. And he got him to the playoff. I mean, so that was a great job by him and tells you just what a good X's and O's ball coach he is. And now he's at a program that is absolutely one that can recruit national championship caliber guys. Matt, you uh, got to see Florida State a little bit, but but um, off the field, I guess the deadline has passed um, for them to, I guess, begin trying to extract themselves if that's what they wanted to do. So so tell us what this means now uh, about their future with the ACC. Yeah, so we are recording this at 921 on Tuesday <laughs> evening, uh, unless they have some sort of emergency, emergency board of trustees meeting. Uh, yeah, they're staying in the ACC for another year. I am not yeah. surprised at all. Um, I thought the most interesting thing that had come out of the last couple of weeks was not this August 15th deadline. It was that people knew when a deadline was and were talking about it, if that makes sense, where it's not just a, a hypothetical. It's like, if we're going to do it soon, we have to do it by this date. That's kind of ramp, shows that it was, had ramped up a little bit. But I thought just realistically, I didn't think they were going to get all their ducks in a row. I mean... I know they've been working on this behind the scenes for a while in terms of what's the grant of rights, what are the legal avenues we might want to explore, um, who do we have a landing spot, that sort of thing. But it just didn't make sense to me that they would be able to, that all those ducks would get in a row by August 15th. So now the question is, what's next? I mean, Florida State's in the ACC, the grant of rights is through 2036. I do not think they're going to be there in 2036. I don't know if they're going to be there in 2026. But mm. the, the questions are, are the same. Is when do they think they can get out? How do they think they can get out? And where would they go? And as of right now, I don't think the SEC wants to expand unless they have a reason, unless they really have a reason to. And I don't know that the Big Ten particularly wants them. Um, and I should also preface that by saying, there's this grant of rights thing that's out there where I don't know that a, a conference would want to take them with this, un, you know, literally a half a billion dollar unknown in terms of what Florida State would have to pay. And, and nobody wants to be a conference that's trying to poach somebody and being stuck as a party in a lawsuit. So all those factors to me kind of conspired against Florida State trying to leave by August 15th. But that, and the rest of the facts have not changed. They're unhappy. The money's not changing. Unless Cal and Stanford come and bring up, you know, brings trucks with them or whatever, but they're still going to be in the same situation on August 16th as they were on August 14th. It's just that they're not going to leave in time for the 2024 season playing somewhere else. Do you see the ACC? I mean, all these teams are struggling, you know, are trying to find their way, their path to survival. Um, Look, if they get some teams that do leave, do you see them adding? Do you see them being uh, vaporized? I mean, what what do you think the, the, the short-term or maybe even the intermediate-term future of the ACC is? <sighs> That's a really good question. I, I mean, their their end game would be to find a way to get Notre Dame. Right, um, there you that, go. That's the end game. So the question mm-hmm. is, how do you do it? So, uh, you know, some people have kind of said, maybe you need to add Cal and Stanford because those mm-hmm. are schools that Notre Dame would like to be like yeah. and associate with, so you can be in their league. Um, I don't know how much I buy that, but that's one thing. Um, right. But that's really just kind of, 
if they're going to survive long term, they have to get Notre Dame. I think it's that simple. If yeah. they're going to be, survive as a as a major program, because otherwise, the money is not going to be there, and the prestige is not going to be there. Right. So at some point, it's going to splinter. Where you know mm-hmm. Clemson and Florida State and North yep. Carolina and Virginia and Miami and maybe a couple others have options, and they go to the Big Ten or the SEC or the Super League or whatever the next format is going to be. In which case, the ACC, maybe they are they become a mid-major um, with the Wakes and the, the Boston College and Pitts, and then maybe, maybe they expand. I, I don't know. There's so many hypotheticals that we can go down there, but the fact is no, the, the, the powers in that conference are not happy. Florida State is vocally unhappy. Clemson, I think, is unhappy behind closed doors, and I think some of the other ones would leave if they could. It's just how can they do it? And at some point, somebody is going to figure that out. Somebody is going to get so upset. And it, think about this podcasting, of course, is a visual medium. So you're, you're thinking about kind of this X, right? Where on one hand, you've got the, the cost to leave going down. And on the other, the cost of what you would make going up. At some point, that's going to intersect where yeah. it it's, behooves you. It's more financially prudent to leave and pay the large buyout than to stay right. and get left behind. So it's just a matter of where is that? And, and I don't have an answer. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts there with the lawyers and the grant of rights. And the, what does the Big Ten want? What does the SEC want? What does ESPN want? What does Fox want? What happens with the college football playoff? Or, you know, when that expands, the, the two years are set, but the third year and beyond is not. So what's that model going to be, look like? There's all these moving parts that, that will factor into what that X looks like. But at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reach the point where Florida State and Clemson and those guys say, we are losing too much money by staying here. We got to go come hell or high water. All right. Let's go back on the field because um, you wrote a story about Graham Mertz, and, and I watched him at Wisconsin. I remember him coming, coming in against Illinois, uh, that you know, going 20 or 21, whatever it was. Uh, it seems like 1,000 years ago. It was 2019, I think. Um, or they're about, or 2020. It's 20. But, um, look, he won the job. I don't think that's a shock. He beat out Jack Miller and Max Brown. These guys that get in the portal and have experience and played a lot of college football games sometimes do well when they go to a new program. So what is it about Mertz that, uh, that the Gators are excited about? So the case I would make for Mertz is that he doesn't have to be Anthony Richardson, and and he shouldn't be, honestly. Um Anthony was a freak, you know, one of the freakiest athletes to play quarterback in the modern era. That's not hyperbole. Look at the combine. That's a fact. Um, so, but but Richardson had his flaws, right? He missed too many open guys. We've, yeah. we've talked about this. Mertz doesn't have to try to be that that gunslinger. He doesn't have to try to win games with his arm and with his legs. He can win games with. I mean, my buddy Richard Johnson said this on his podcast the other day, kind of almost like Wisconsin, what you think of as Wisconsin, right? Where you think of a really good ground game. Well, Florida's got maybe the best backfield in the SEC and Trevor Etienne and Montrell Johnson and maybe Cam Carroll, the the Tulane transfer as well. Um, They're going to have a pretty good offensive line, I think. And that's kind of what Billy Napier wants. He wants to run the ball generally. And he's going to be able to do that, I think, at a pretty high level. So in that case, 
uh, Graham Burtz doesn't have to go out and throw for 350 yards a game, 400 yards a game. No, if he can make the short passes, the intermediate passes, the crossing patterns, you know, that type of thing, and then when you know, the defense crashes too much to try and stop the run, hit him over the top every now and then. That is a, a method for success. And, and I think maybe, you know, if I'm looking at it, what's the best case scenario for Florida? That's that's what it is, where Graham Mertz is able to um, just be efficient and take the big-time throws when they're available. But if every, you know, if, if a, a six-yard slant is your best route, then do that and, and live to die another day. And that's kind of what I think Billy Napier generally wants from his quarterback. And I think Graham Mertz has the potential to do that. So that's the case I'd make for why this might work with, with Graham Mertz at Florida. Just to, you know, and then too, as you kind of alluded, sometimes you do just need a change of scenery. You know, sometimes that, does that work out all the time? No, of course not. But sometimes you do need a change of scenery. You, you know, you don't make any more friends after a certain while, right? And just go smile, be somewhere different, get re-energized and go out and see what happens. Yeah, change is good, and I, and, and uh, you know Napier, you wrote, and, and this this came up when I talked to Tom Moore it, it, with the Bucks, who did had all the Colts teams and you know Steelers and that um, is it's about it's about giving the quarterback answers, right? Like, can you and and that's what Napier's system does, and I think I think for you know I I think for Napier like this will be. Because Richardson was was so athletic and 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 you know had the ability to just you know hit the hit the uh, you know the running switch if he needed to, um, that in some ways Napier is going to be more comfortable with a quarterback that that can run his offense this way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and I, I think you're probably right. I mean, any coach who's out there would take. And Anthony Richardson, right? You're not going to turn oh, down absolutely. a guy with that athleticism and that arm and all that stuff. But if you're just looking at what maybe fits what Billy wants, I think I think he can absolutely win with Mertz. And I certainly think he thinks he can win with, with, with Graham Mertz. And just, you know, I, I go back to something that, that Billy said at one point, kind of mid to late last season. Um, somebody, uh, Edgar Thompson, my, my buddy at the Orlando Sentinel, asked about, like, What's the completion percentage goal? What's the goal for Anthony? And Billy said that the number we kind of hang our hat on is a passing efficiency of 145. That's a good number, but it's not like a superstar number or anything like that. And I thought that passing efficiency being his number was interesting too. It's right. It's about efficiency. And that's just kind of the way Billy operates. Um, And if, if Graham Mertz is able to avoid some of the disastrous throws and avoid some of the just missed opportunities and what have you, and and, and let's face it, let's maybe he can get some help from his receivers. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson, he missed too many balls last year. He'd say that too, but his receivers were unspectacular. You know that right. we've we've said many times that that stat line burned in my head. It was nine of twenty seven last year against the Knolls. A lot, a couple of more drops, maybe a lot more of drops. A couple. Yeah, they, they, mm. it wasn't all on him, or just guys not getting separation and that sort of thing. So, if Florida's young receivers can take a step up and give Mertz some more options, then maybe you can see this working out a little bit better than that five and seven, six and six thing I've been kind of thinking all all off season. All right, so I need you to do one thing for me before we uh, we go. Here is uh, give me or USF fans. A reason for optimism in the first year 
with yet another new head coach. But but seriously, what do you see that's going on over there that you like? Well, what is recruiting? Um, yeah. I, I haven't checked the, the 247 rankings lately, but last I checked, they had the number one recruiting class in the American. So that's something. That's great. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know that... I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, but... USF turned over a whole lot of the roster last year, and I think sure. they and I think they needed to. But I don't know that it's realistic to expect it to completely click in year one. Um, that doesn't happen a ton. So I say that to say, if there's some baby steps that you can see this year in terms of just everybody getting on the same page, kind of organizationally, and just some flashes of success where you know it's, maybe it's a, a you know starting week one against Western Kentucky, right, where they're able to get a couple big plays. And you can see, I I guess I'm looking for more the broad strokes, the outlines here of what does this offense look like um, and and what does Alex Golish's eye for talent, some of the transfers that he's brought in in particular. You know, there's plenty of guys from bigger schools, the Texases and TCUs and what have you, that didn't click there. Um, And again, that happens. That's part of the game. The transfer portal giveth and taketh away. So if he's able to give get some of those guys with second chances, you know, Naquan Wright's another good example from uh, from Florida, who was a v- pretty good player with the Gators. It just didn't work out because he was number three in the backfield. If he's able to take advantage of this second start, and, and Golish obviously was able to recruit him and, and and evaluate him and all that stuff, then then that would give me optimism going into next season. That that's the real thing that I'm looking for. Is I, I'm looking at this almost like a year zero with Golish. Again, he's a first year coach as well. First sure. time head first year, first time head coach. So there's gonna be stuff that he doesn't know that he doesn't know. So I wanna see if he can improve over the course of the season and just flashes of success, maybe you know, the receivers he brought in have a couple of really big games, a couple of really big plays where you can see, okay. All right, there it is. That's the proof of concept that I need to see that this train can eventually get to where it needs to go. Well, I I think it's, you know, starts are good, and he's got a long way to go, but I think recruiting-wise, he's certainly made a dent, and now it's just about, you know, getting those players to produce and and, and do that in the American. He's Matt Baker. He has got his poll out, and you can compare that with the AP poll. Generally, Matt's more correct than the Associated Press, but we, obviously, you know, that's uh, that's why that's why we have him. <laughs> uh, and check him out on the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Thanks, Matthew. Sure, thanks, Rick. Well, it's not just college football we have going on. Of course, the NFL is also in its preseason, and I am in New Jersey to watch the Bucks have their joint practice against Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets today, this morning as a matter of fact. The Jets kind of called an audible, if you will, and uh, I think the Bucs, going back to last March, believed that they would have two days of practice. That's typically what they do. Um, But instead, um, the Jets have decided to uh, just practice them with them on Wednesday, on today. And then on Thursday, tomorrow, uh, the Bucs are on their own, and they had to kind of scramble around and guess what you know where they're going for their own practice to the new york giants facility <laughs> I, I think it's funny to me because it's like oh oh you the jets kind of threw slip one by you there hey you know what we don't like them anyway come over here and practice practice at our facility with the giants so very nice of them to uh to make that that uh that happen of course the meadowlands not too far away 
from where we are in Florham Park, New Jersey. So, um, yeah, it should be fun. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how those defensive backs do against Aaron Rodgers and some of the receivers. And, of course, that Jets defense and, and you know is, is for real, and especially that defensive front. So we'll get a, you know, guys like Luke Gettyke and, um, you know, the changes they made on the offensive line, uh, they're really going to get a test, I think. Uh, even though it's not tackle football in these practices, it's controlled scrimmage, they won't be going to the ground and stuff like that. Um, but it'll be a nice, you know, good-on-good good sort of experiment. And that gets started this morning around 10 o'clock. So check all out. The, the action on that I'll, I'll have I'll be you know tweeting and blogging and whatever we do at practice uh, from from the Jets facility uh, starting around 10 a.m. on TampaBay.com. All right, the Rays wrap up their series against the Giants. We'll talk about that as well tomorrow. Thanks for listening for Steve Burstick. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.